At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're excited to speak with Robert Tyndale of Version Me Media in Edmonton. Bobby T, as he likes to be known, is a digital marketer who recognizes the transformative power of stories in connecting people. He leads the content production agency Version Me Media, collaborating with diverse businesses across Edmonton. Robert is deeply committed to engaging the Black community, and he co-founded his own publication, Melanistic Magazine, and serves on the board for the Federation of Black Canadians and the Jamaican Association of Northern Alberta. In his spare time, Robert cultivates his YouTube channels, sharing videos about the tools and technologies that video creators need and the creator economy. Robert also hosts a podcast, The Cadence, with just Bobby T, exploring such topics as rethinking art in the digital age, the power of content creators, and pushing back on mediocrity. We're so excited to learn more from Robert today and dive deeper into the media he uses to educate others, create community, and take up space online as a creative leader. Bobby, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, Rick? Thank you so much for having me, and I'm excited to chat today. Well, we're delighted to have you here, and I like learning from people who know more about podcasting than I do, so this is really cool. <laughs> to get started, you know, we have an audience of entrepreneurs across the country. They're all busy with their businesses. They don't have a lot of time. And their first question is, what am I going to get out of this podcast? So I'm wondering if there's a, a cool particular idea uh, that, that, or advice there, or a, a feeling you'd like our audience of entrepreneurs to get out of this conversation today. Mm -hmm. You know, the key takeaway that comes to mind, what I want audience and everyone who's listening to kind of take away from this is the idea that through your lifestyle, through your um, communication, and basically the content you share with the rest of the world, that is the hack to make your business, your startup, and bottom line, your ideas come to fruition faster and more almost uniquely come to fruition. Your style is your hack. Your communication is your hack. I like it. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
We're all it's, looking it, for those shortcuts. We're always looking for the hack, and you're telling me it's right in front of us. Oh, totally. I, I think sometimes we underestimate sort of this world that we live in. And, and if you think about it, because of technology, because of platforms, yes, on social media, but more importantly, just in general, the platforms that are available to us, it gives us a unique opportunity to connect to you know one-to-one or one-to-a-million, so to speak. But more importantly, it allows us to, if we want to, um, engage our audiences, engage our customers, engage our clients, and engage people around the products or services that we're hoping to kind of share with the rest of the world. All right. And I, I guess what the, the immediate takeaway from that is that you have to be aware of it, is that A, it's a tool, but B, you have to be aware of it so that anytime you're talking to someone, anytime you're, you're writing something, you're representing the brand. So you have to, you know, create it a bit, curate it a bit, and maybe control it a bit. <laughs> what 100% and, and ultimately, like, be mindful. Like, if you think about it, more or less, when you think of like businesses that have successfully grown, um, and especially in that startup like phase, in that startup position, a lot of people do work with individuals who they like, who they can relate to. And so whether if you're a fan of the Edmonton Oilers or a fan of your local basketball team, you can uniquely start to share insights and information about sort of what you care about as an individual, as a company, as a business, as a startup, and watch how you can start to then curate an audience of people based on that information to hopefully have the chance to work with you. Because in this like climate that anyone could find, you know, products and services kind of from any part of the world, why would they decide to work with you or buy your or purchase your product? What do you think they're looking for? We don't usually get into it this deep, this fast, but let's keep going. I like that. Like we're going. <laughs> it, it, it's about relationships. And I, and I think a lot of us sometimes underestimate that value. And so, you know, for all the listeners, if you can build relationships, that is ultimately sort of, in my opinion, some of the more fundamental value these social media platforms and this digital medium has um, for individuals who are trying to build businesses. Like, yes, these social platforms are to connect socially with your friends, family, and stuff like that. But for the ones who are trying to build a business, um, start to sell products and services, the, 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 the focus comes down to sort of building relationships at scale. And in this sort of like market that we live in, where you can get any piece of information through Google or, yes, through AI and ChatGPT, the question becomes, well, why would I work with you? Why would I sort of pick you? And it comes down to, well, because you ultimately like me, that we have some type of relationships, whether it's relationships through my content, through me providing value of sort of the information and details I'm communicating, or hopefully, which is sort of a, a hot topic these days, because you're part of my community. And community looks a little differently um, depending on where you are and, and sort of what you're doing. Yeah. One of my favorite hacks is collecting powerful questions. I call them breakthrough questions that can really help change your headspace and get you someplace that you didn't. And the two questions you just mentioned, why would I work with you? Uh, why would I partner with you? Um, is a wonderful question that every entrepreneur should probably be thinking about in, in, in A, in any relationship, but B, especially when they're going out to sell themselves. And because being able to put yourself into that prospect's headspace and to ans 
to ask and then answer the question, why would I partner with you? Uh, that, that That is powerful stuff. A hundred percent. And just to add to that, like, you know, from a, a startup perspective, are the the answers to that is usually around, well, it's my value proposition. And so you kind of go into sometimes that rhetoric about, well, it's because I'm providing these values and these services and this product that solves these problems. But in this world that we live in today, a lot of it behind a screen digitally, I think we got to go much deeper than that. I think we got to start to then look at, well, what am I doing to sort of foster a relationship so that then for the people who are maybe not yet in the position to be my customer, to um, sort of see the value in my products or services, how do I nurture some relationships so that then they will eventually move to that? And also for the ones who are currently present there, how do I better foster that connection so that then I'm the choice because my market more or less is saturated, that there's a ton of different options, there's a ton of different choices that they can choose from. So then why would I choose you? And again, I think that fosters around the idea of relationships. Right. So now we have breakthrough follow-up questions. <laughs> what am I doing to, uh, to, to foster these relationships? That's excellent stuff. Before we get any deeper, let's back up a little bit, Bobby, and talk about your journey. You've chosen video as your medium, and you're, 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 you're across a number of platforms with very captivating content. How did you get into this line of work, and, 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 and why did you choose to work, especially within video? So it all actually started um, even before my first business. I used to be a professional video game player. And so before eSports was eSports, I would travel around where I played a particular video game called Counter-Strike. And it was such a popular and upcoming um, space. During that period, I watched individuals um, create brands and I watched brands then turn into $100,000 businesses, million-dollar businesses around individuals selling mouse pads, gaming equipment, and then, yes, like bigger projects like motherboard collaborations of brands. And I was always curious on what was fostering this. Why did people care? I would recall moments where I would be competing overseas in like uh, Singapore, and there would be hundreds of thousands of people watching us online and we'd be playing in stadiums that would house, you know, five to 10,000 people. And a lot of oh, that was being on. fueled. <laughs> oh, it was, it was Rick. It was a crazy time. And this is amazing. How long ago it, was this? So this was, um, back in good question, Rick. This was back in, um, from, I was playing competitively in 20, uh, 2010, Sorry, this started in, holy cow, 2000 is when I started playing competitively. And I did it all through uh, high school and university. And so that lasted for about eight years or so, um, playing competitively and building up and sort of touring here in Canada, North America, and then going across to the international tournaments. And again, this, and this is professionally, still... This podcast is now about becoming a professional video gamer. Okay. So so professionally means you got paid to do it. Are, are you getting paid to be there or are, you, or are you depending on prize money? Are you the, the champion wandering from place to place looking for dragons to slay? <laughs> so it was both. Uh, we got a sal We had a, sp a series of sponsors like Intel Canada. Um, we also had uh, Steelpad Canada and all these groups who sponsored my team, which paid us a salary. And in addition to that, um, through the prize money, we would also 
um, win some tournaments. And prize money went from like first place would usually walk around, walk home with like fifty to seventy thousand dollars, all the way down to like twenty fourth place would get um, about like five thousand or a thousand bucks. So uh, it was between prize money and salary. Wow, that's amazing. Why would anyone walk away from that life? <laughs> Good question. And like, it came down to like one dynamic. And, and this is where I made a huge mistake, in my opinion, when I look at it in, in reflection. But ultimately, I felt to myself at the time, I was like, hey, well, what 30-year-old, 40-year-old, or 50-year-old to be playing video games all the way? And so I had to choose between starting my first business, which was a clothing store, and going to university or continuing my education university because it was just wrapping up too fast. And I decided that I would take a step back and from video games and focus on those two things. And that year I made that choice for a quick little anecdote, my team got drafted in this new league. In this new league, they ended up winning this league for a year. And they all that year made roughly about 150,000 US while I ended up not making anything remotely close to that <laughs> that year. And so it was it was a fun it was funny in hindsight to see that opportunity cost, but nonetheless some of the fundamental experiences that I've done through, you know, finishing up university and things like that is stuff I practice today in terms of trying to make, you know, products and services and businesses wow. accordingly. It, it would be easy for me to say something like university is for people who aren't really professional class gamers um but you know that's just a cheap shot um <laughs> but i'm wondering can you just speak a little bit because a lot of people face these questions i'm really good at what i do should i keep going and forget higher education or do i go on pause mode and do homework and try and stay awake during lectures so tell me Looking back on it, it sounds like you're not unhappy with your choice of, of getting out of the racket and, and going, to, going, to, going to school. Yeah, so, so great question. Um, it's twofolds. I, from like forever, have been always a self-learner. Um, I always would take advantage of like the information I have on the internet. I would be motivated to kind of learn things through like how-to videos where today I currently do video production. And... 100% of my skills and the work that I do today for a living is based off of YouTube tutorials, which is ironic. And <laughs> at the same token, though, because that is sort of my style and I am sort of see myself as a forever student, I didn't necessarily need the traditional route of university. I think if you're an individual that needs, and to be honest, which is totally fine, kind of you lack that discipline to kind of follow through on the work and you require that structure in order to better educate yourself, then university is 100% the route and the way you should go. But if you're an individual who kind of is a self-learner, you, you find yourself always motivated to kind of learn new stuff and you're not afraid to pick up a book, watch a ton of tutorials and start apply your work immediately, well, you know, university may not be the exact answer for you. However, um, again, I was, I'm very extroverted. I would always be meeting and trying to greet people and build relationships. I've had countless relationships because of university. And so it just comes down to sort of what are you trying to accomplish and how can you more effectively do it, whether it's through the university route or the non-university or post-secondary route. And I think it just comes down to you as an individual. So it's all about the learning. And if you have the discipline... Um, then 
and 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 if you are constantly recharging yourself. And I like the idea that you actually mentioned books because there are some things that aren't in YouTube videos, although there's less and less as the days go by. Well, totally. And you know what's you know what's funny, Rick? You know what the number one like kind of hack for an original YouTube video is? It's you do a YouTube video about a book because people are not going to read the book, but boy, oh boy, will they watch that YouTube video. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) There is so much wisdom, so much knowledge, so so much valuable information hidden away in plain sight in books that that no one's reading. And, and you're right. I mean, YouTube videos, which may get tens, hundreds of thousands of, 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 of views, most books outside of the bestsellers that people talk about and think about, outside of the bestsellers, the average book sells about 3,000 copies. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it's, so, so what you're talking about is an amazing uh, resource out there for anyone who wants to get into, uh, into social media to, to repurpose and, I, and, you know, repurpose with credit. And, and, and then, because and then, <laughs> that's how the artists do it, homage to Chagall. Um, and then you can, <laughs> and then you can use all the stuff because you've already <laughs> said it's there as they had it first. Go look there, the original. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and that just is like I think a better almost reflection of just the current world that we live in. Like if you think about it, with so much content at our fingertips with the access of so much information, it just becomes, well, why am I like sort of listening to you? Why, you know, like, like even though you may not be saying something traditionally like original, the sheer fact there's a good chance this is going to be the first time I've heard this concept or this idea or this terminology or this perspective. And, you know, we just in the day and age that there's this, there is as much as there's everything at our fingertips because of that, we, there's so much that we just can't consume. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We have this uh, the, the, this tremendous uh, abundance of resources that means there's a a shortage of of, of actual wisdom. It's funny. There was mm-hmm. a magazine. I guess it's still around called Reader's Digest, which used to do that. Which used to say, "Hey, we we've we've we, we went we've gone through all the magazines that came out this month, and these are the best things from each of them." And put in one package, and it became the most popular magazine in the world for decades. Mm. Although there's nothing much left of it now because <clears throat> that's the magazine industry. Bobby, you mentioned the the, the, the two day rule. I'm presuming it's the one that uh, we found on your Instagram page. Never let two days pass without working on your goals. Is that the one? Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love the forgiveness in it. The one that's uh, the forgiveness that says. Okay, you can have you can take a day off once in a while, but not two because that's so genuine. It's so realistic, and so it's kind of empowering at the same time. But tell us what what this philosophy means to you. Never let two days pass without working on your goals. Yeah, so that that, that came from this idea, and especially for all the individuals who are who are still ramping up and haven't yet started or kicked off their business. It, it's it's around the the thought process that like we look at too too many times we we criticize ourselves in the micro without really looking at the macro. And what the idea is, is that as you're plugging away at your work and your goals, so whether that's around, um, you know, going through the process of like delivering your first, you know, MVP, all the way down to just 
you developing a new habit of like waking up a certain time or going to bed at a certain time, if you allowed yourself to, yes, follow your goal and schedule, but when you fail, look at it from the perspective of like allowing yourself the flexibility to fail once, but then really work hard to ensure that it doesn't happen two days in a row. And this idea comes around like sort of a lot of the concepts and information that came out of that book, Atomic Habits, that in order to form habits, you got to have the same kind of practice or you have to have the same type of habit of doing something for like a 30-day row. And too many times we are so uh, critical of ourselves that we will give up that plan, we'll give up our goals, we'll give up sort of that objective because we failed at it today or we failed at it yesterday, not really realizing that when you look at it from the macro, where that's the past month, six months, year, two years, we're actually on the pathway of success, but then we just abandon our products, we abandon our initiatives. So if you find yourself consistently not being consistent, try to adopt sort of that two-day rule that I will allow myself and I'll forgive myself um, and give myself that flexibility so I can really jump back onto that goal, that habit, um, that thing I'm working towards in order to achieve my goal. Fabulous. Do you have any micro habits that, 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 that you are consciously doing? And I'm asking this knowing that you used to be a professional gamer. So it must be hard for you to sit down at the computer and say, I'm going to write some stuff. Now. <laughs> you know, um, you could be doing something else. <laughs> totally. Um, like one of the most basic but fundamental micro habits that I do is actually self-reflection. And, and I, I make a reference point to this a lot because – through self-reflection, I'm able to uh, sort of build out my newsletter, get a deeper understanding of sort of my goals and priorities. And number three, um, it allows me to kind of check in with myself to kind of get a deeper understanding of like, ultimately, what I care about, what is, so to speak, broken in the process, and then sort of map out a series of systems and processes to address that. And that's all done through self-reflection. And so one micro thing that I do every day has tremendous amount of impacts when I look at my week to week, month to month, and yes, year to year. Every day you look at daily progress, monthly progress, yearly progress. Correct. And, I, and that's all done through um, a morning, taking like five to 10 minutes in the morning and five to minutes at the end of my day through uh, self-reflection, asking myself a series of questions. Fabulous. You got a lot of discipline there. Can I ask what are the what, what's the part of your work that, that that that's generating the revenue for you now, and and where does the revenue come from? Yeah, so a lot of my revenue comes from client services. Um, a lot of it is through doing sort of again um, video production um, gigs, and also I do a lot of speaking gigs uh, where I share with different groups um, and organizations around how they can do video production. Um, I film, I capture their stories, their content, and I help kind of create videos out of that. So the next big area is uh, consulting and specifically consulting around sort of strategy when it comes to um, video edit, video and content where ultimately I'm a big component and advocate that you could have the best production team in the world create a video for you. But the question becomes, do you know how to position it? Do you know how to allow it to sort of bring customers into your funnels? Do you know how to position it so that you can... Uh, get feedback or understand what your products or service could do better. And so 
um, providing that strategy has been quite uh, a big opportunity, especially in the climate that we live in where these platforms are changing every single day, changing their names, I feel like every few weeks. And there's a new emerging something um, coming down the pipeline that's launching. So how do you take advantage of that? Great. Can I ask you that question now? <laughs> I think I think our listeners would love to learn. I've, let's say I've, I've let's say I've got a podcast out there or, or 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 video video channel, and suddenly you know it's picking up traction. Um, what's next? Mm-hmm. How do I turn that into a strategy? What signals are out there that I should be following? Hmm. So I I, I think. Ultimately, it's about sort of building community. The, the value of the content, the the videos, the podcasts, um, all this information that you're putting out there is like, how do I build a community around sort of the topics, the niche, the structure that I'm doing? Once you have that community forming or starting to develop, I think it's about just refining it and serving them through your content. And so instead of trying to play the game of like trying to keep up with all of these platforms, I think it's about sort of following a discipline that was like popularized by this individual named Gary Vaynerchuk, where you create one pillar piece of content, um, depending on sort of your skill set, whether that's a podcast, um, whether it's, you know, videos, or whether it's even to blog posts. And then you turn that major pillar piece of content into a ton of micro pieces of content that you then distribute on different platforms. And you make it what you call... Um, unique or native to those platforms. And the reason why you follow that strategy um, is because, again, your audience is looking for the consumption of information on these channels, and they're not going to sort of play the game of like following when you're delivering it. And so whether if you're trying to communicate with them around your products or services, let's say through Instagram, that individual and that audience member might not be on Facebook or they might not follow your LinkedIn page. And so you have to give them the information of where they're at and then effectively engage them in those spaces to help your services, help your products actually get hopefully the reach it needs to keep on growing. I've asked a lot of people this question. I still can't figure it out. So I'll ask you, how many platforms should I try to be on and do good work on at one time? Because there's probably half a dozen out there that I could make a case for being on. Should I be on all of them? The, the answer is like, it depends. <laughs> and, 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 and I hate I hate to give that answer because it's like, that's the answer for everything. But I think it, the best question to answer your, ask yourself is, well, what platforms do you currently enjoy pr- creating on? And hopefully there's at least one and then you stick to that. So if I only like to blog, for example, and just posting on my own website, which is totally fine, I think it's about then adopting sort of a strategy that you can at least take that content and just reposition it on others. If you find yourself just in general, when you take off your work hat, always on Instagram or always on TikTok or always on LinkedIn or always on YouTube, whatever that space would be, I think starting to be a creator within that will also bring you value. And once when you begin to grow and be successful and starting to see some actions or or things materialize um, by navigating that space, then you can venture venture into then, yes, throwing another platform on. But going on all of them all at once is kind of ineffective. But it just depends on what your goals are. Right. No, that's good stuff. I got to ask you, though, you referred to Gary Vee. And you're Bobby T. 
Coincidence? <laughs> no, so I was Bobby T before I even came across <laughs> Gary right. V. Uh, <laughs> we got to do. Just want to make sure. But it does have a ring. <laughs> It has a ring. <laughs> Great minds. I like that. Great minds think alike. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. One of the things you focus on uh, in, in your work and you describe it as a big opportunity for creatives is documenting the process. Can you dig a little deeper into this mm -hmm. for us? Why is this important and how has it paid off for you? Like countless. So what I mean by documenting the process is I think sometimes we – um, I, I'd find myself as like a individual who's building a business, um, whether it was around my clothing store all the way down to my current business, which is in video production, that I needed to always set up like a studio and all these like fancy cameras in order to start to share and create content. But I didn't realize um, at those times and something that I've been folding into the practice currently is if I simply just start to document my process by setting up a camera and just filming myself or screen recording something or just noting, reflecting on what I learned today and then sharing the rest of the world, that was a moment in time that allowed me to kind of create content out of small or, so to speak, things that I didn't really think was important. And by doing so, I started to have better conversations. I started to um, connect with others more effectively because I was ultimately being shown and, and being brought up in their newsfeed because I was posting more and being more consistent. And more importantly, I was being able to help serve individuals um, by sharing sort of my processes and systems. I think as entrepreneurs and business owners and people who aspire to that, we forget sort of the where we were um, two years ago, five years ago, when we didn't know what we know today. And sometimes I try to position myself to say, okay, cool. If I was providing value or mentoring old Bobby T, or I should say young Bobby T, what would I share with him? And there's a ton of information that I didn't know a year ago or two years ago or even six months ago. And so I started going through the habits of just documenting some of the work that I'm doing and then providing sort of that commentary providing some, sharing some of those insights, sharing my losses in order to start to build a relationship with some of the people within my community. Cool. Does that also, I mean, that helps obviously build relationships and it sounds like good content. So it will also attract new people there. Um, how does that relate to revenue? How, how, how do you end up justifying slash monetizing that? Yeah. So again, um, it goes by through that process of building relationships. It, it's funny, the individuals who are sometimes for myself consume my content are potential clients. And I've had so many times great discussions and conversations through a pitch or proposal that I've sent in or an RFP, or more importantly, someone inquiring about information to myself that I would answer pro bono, that when they have work or a project on their table, I come to mind. So it's funny, there's this idea of like, you know, sometimes entrepreneurs have uh, luck that just suddenly something comes out of left field as an opportunity that comes on their plates. And I strongly believe that luck is fueled by you putting yourself out there. More importantly, putting out value 
in your niche, in your expertise, and sort of in the services or products that you're doing. And you become top of the mind when it comes to individuals potentially experiencing that problem or that challenge that they face, that your product or service is the solution. And so that's how I can kind of directly monetize that. And ultimately as well, which is another route, but I think it's, I'm not there yet personally, is yes, you can monetize your um, content, your information, your details through like ads and all of that. But like, that's a longer term game. But the short term game is that you can use your content, your documentation and sharing as a almost resume of your work ethics. So whether if you're trying to recruit and find new partners and, and, and partnerships and potentially employees, all the way down to just uh, mapping out potential clients or even to, I would say, uh, potential investors in the work that you do, they can at least see the history of what you're doing. Because in my opinion, people today are not investing in your products, service, or ideas. They're investing you as the owner, operator, um, entrepreneur, or yes, startup creator. Right. And that brings us full circle back to the top of the show where we talked about being out there, putting in the work, being consistent, being conscious about what you're doing. You don't have to be perfect, but you have to be sort of consistent. A hundred percent. And you got to be a human because like, let's be blunt. Um, for everyone who's like looking right now and seeking investors, like they know that once they get their pitch deck or they get your um, sort of roadmap, like, of course, it's going to map to like, you know, all this money and all these opportunities, like, Everyone, there's been no one in the history, in my opinion, there's no one in the history of having a startup that has a pitch deck or a roadmap that doesn't map to a whole bunch of money. So the question becomes, well, okay, cool. Will you, as the um, leader, follow through on this idea when you hit those roadblocks and those hiccups? And that's what investors are actually investing in. You. And I was just going to say, like, what better way to sell yourself than to um, show who you are? So I, I talked before about creating it, cultivating it, curating it. But the biggest C of all here is character then. Being consistent mm-hmm. about your character. I think we've gotten somewhere. Well, I think we're close to a new cliche. But And, and, and just to add to that, Rick, you say it's a, it's a new cliche, but in this world that we're going to, yes, because of AI, that it's getting harder and harder to detect who's coming up with this messages, who's actually supporting this, where are these endorsements coming from, that cliche might be really like a new pillar that's formulating because, to be honest, we don't know what's real and what's not. True enough. The only way I can really find out who are these individuals, who are these products and services is like, well, give me that character. Give me that human, that human personality. And that's going to be the shoot, that might be the number one factor of why I might invest in what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Let me just ask you a couple other things. You're building a community called Record in Color. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yes. Uh, So as as all of you might have like understood that, you know, I've sort of built a a journey through my video games, um, going to university and, and getting a degree in marketing, but more importantly, starting the process of creating content as a a digital creator, the challenges that are faced sometimes when working with people who have darker skin tones. And so for someone like myself who has a darker complexion, I would find 
tons of YouTube videos um, that I would study about how I can better position lighting, my camera, um, sort of create different graphics that kind of fit, um, color palettes that kind of fit better with people of darker skin tones. But I would always have to find that out myself. And so I created this new idea and concept in community called Record and Color, where it's a range of people who are from um, artists to graphic designers to photographers, um, cinematographers around the idea of like, how do we sort of work with darker skin tones in different situations and sort of build better practices, strategies and concepts around it. And the biggest analogies that I point towards is when you look at two major industries, the makeup industry and the tattoo industry, they just have a different strategy when working with darker skin tones, where it's the color palettes that are available all the way down to sort of what complements those skins, um, those skin tones. And so I created this community called Recording Color, hoping to help creators in this digital world that we live in create better content. And I got to say, this is an audio only podcast. So the, so the listeners can't see you. I can, I can see you on my monitor and your lighting is incredible. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> a, ton of, a ton of work and thought gone into that. Um, recording color. Can you give us any idea? Uh, you know, is it, is it getting some traction? Are you having some impact? Yeah, so right now I'm just in like sort of the the, the beta testing portion of it where um, I have a few people that are just sort of allowing me to kind of work through the, some of the processes and the bugs and, and sort of seeing um, how I can sort of deliver and maximize the value. And then um, coming out sort of hopefully mid um, to kind of uh, relatively summertime of next year is when I want to kind of launch full-fledged the, the community to the public um, so that it can kind of then scale and grow from there. Because again, we're in the day and age where the process of creating content is sort of changing and there's so many different options and tools available at our fingertips. And then more importantly, uh, this world is becoming more and more digital. There's, it's becoming a bigger um, value proposition for people who for sharing stories, um, selling products and services and building bigger businesses. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, diversity and rep- representation, they obviously... Uh, matter to you a lot. What are some strategies you think our listeners could, could take to amplify diverse voices and experiences in their own storytelling, in their own work? Yeah. Um, you know, what, what immediately comes to mind is like, again, it, it's about folding that into the business because there is a value proposition around that. And so I think, again, for the individuals who are building products, um, that have a, a service and a product behind it. If you're looking to engage a unique audience by having people that represent different diverse um, interests, is sort of the pathway of actually scaling. So, you know, in the past, when you look at it before, you know, back in the 90s, um, there was almost you create one ad, one commercial that then the masses would watch. Well, we don't live in that day and age. We live in the opportunity that you can create unique content information that has a spectrum of um, individuals that are reflective of a diversity of your audience, Um, whether that's individuals that come from different cultural backgrounds or have special needs or um, come from different genders, by featuring them, by creating ads that speak directly to these people, utilizing your platforms, utilizing your services, then you can better prototype and test your solution so then when one catches, then hopefully you can push pot, commit to that and grow a bigger business faster. And so when it comes to that 
idea and concept of inclusivity, I think it's about, well, there is a business case and model around why inclusivity will, to be honest, make you more money, make you more successful, while also delivering more value to the world. You think all those things go together like that? I definitely, yeah, (laughs) I I definitely do. (laughs) Like, and, and the reason why I think they go together like that is again, we're, we're in a, more or less, we're in a global market. When you think about how people are finding or making their purchases decisions or doing their research, it all, at some point in time, they're going to go on the internet, go onto social media, go onto YouTube and start the process of looking at reviews, looking at feedback and, and deciding for themselves, is this the right point? Um, or is this the right product? Or do I like this company or do I feel that they're actually solving my problem? And yes, depending on what that product or service is, but we're just in a, um, we're in a market where there's choices and those choices, it just begs the question, well, why would I, again, choose you or the other 12 competitors looking for me to spend my money right. with them? And, I, and, and, and your answer was entirely right. Um, every once in a while, we forget that there's a global market out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that I, I sometimes forget it. So yeah, um, it, w- I'm seeing it more and more in my social media feeds. I'm, I'm hearing more and more from people who don't live in the United States or Europe or Canada. And uh, I'm the better for it. And, uh, and, and, and hopefully everyone will be as we come to learn more about each other and respect each other. Totally. And, 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 th- and that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be building and serving, you know, the millions and the tens of thousands or the hundreds of thousands. All that means is that if your unique service is in such a micro niche that you're serving um, individuals that are reflective, let's say in your particular city or region, you know, of like a hundred people or 50 people, well, there's a good chance in other cities or other regions, there's another 50 or 100 people that then altogether collectively can then support your business or support your products or services as you're scaling and growing. And it's about just, in my opinion, doubling down on those kind of markets and niches. Absolutely. Bobby T, it's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, You're you're in a remarkable growth curve and I'm eager to, to follow what you do next. Mm-hmm. Any final words of wisdom or advice you want to share with Canadian leaders or aspiring entrepreneurs? Yes. Uh, the, what comes to mind is as much as you might be growing and, and seeing a ton of different opportunities, or if you're experiencing some roadblocks and challenges, I think it's important sometimes just to be a little bit more present in the now and understand like what a time to be alive. With the amount of information, opportunities, and yes, assets that are at our fingertips, um, it is such a powerful time and unique world that we live in that we can sort of build our businesses in our evenings, turn our side hustles into future companies, and really, ultimately, bring an idea to reality. It's just amazing to be alive and what a time to be alive. You know, that's a wonderful thing to say because sometimes we forget how how hard it used to be and certainly for younger people coming through who didn't know life without Instagram. um, You know, I remember having to arrange long distance phone calls in order to speak to someone in Europe and you'd have to plan it in advance. (laughs) And now we can reach anyone we want anywhere. And, And 
there is, and so much of this power is available to individuals and entrepreneurs and, and as you say, side hustles. And it, 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 it's, it's so empowering to know that. And it's important never to take it for granted. 100% Rick. And it's, it's because it's happening so fast, we, you know, a byproduct is to sort of um, almost take it for granted. But every so often, if you can, taking that pause, taking a deep breath and just realizing, you know, kind of how blessed and fortunate we are to, um, and, and how, how blessed and fortunate we are that we're in a, a position of being safe because I would argue that anyone who's listening to this podcast has sort of more going for them right now to allow them to then build out these products and services and acknowledge that is important to allow you to be more effective with your time. Beautiful. Thank you so much. If a friend of mine wanted to subscribe to your newsletter, how would they do that? Um, so you can find me on justbobbyt.com or justbobbyt on social media, any platforms. And that's sort of the best way to sort of find my channels and find my newsletter um, where you can sign up and yeah, and start checking that out. All right. We've been talking to Bobby T. It's his world. We just live in it. Thank you so much for your time. And again, uh, good luck with all the projects you've got going on. And thank you for having me, Rick. And thank you for Startup Canada for allowing me to engage your audience. So this was so much fun. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.